Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists, they did. They got it correct, as well as did a, a number of our founders when they were trying to assess what was necessary to keep the republic going. And today, on this program, we're going to be talking about the election results to some degree in respect to especially Ohio and the failures to defeat uh, two morally destructive um, ballot measures. The first being Issue 1, which is gaining all sorts of national attention right now, and the fact that uh, we are, Ohio is leading in the destruction. It's leading the U.S. into the pit. Now, I talked about this uh, a while ago from a perspective, and you'll have to go back to programs I did with Mark Paquita as well as several of the other programs in relationship to the reality that Ohio has been a definite, not just battleground state, if you will, but it has been established a target by the leftists for years progressives since, as I mentioned a long time ago, its constitutional convention in the early 1900s, 1911, 1910, 1911 time frame. And then when we take a look at many of the constitutional amendments in relationship to Ohio, they have been established by progressives. They bring in a lot of taxation. They gave extraordinary funding power to the universities, and they made a mess of how we fund general education in the state of Ohio. Now, with this debacle of issue one in particular, and we'll talk about that to some degree, is the fact that this has been the place that now they will take an attempt to move to other states. It's amazing to me at the onset of thinking through what happened with this amendment that how could people miss the reality of what it was all about? So I have to confess, I'm still extremely busy doing a, a number of other family issues, and uh, we're working together on a, a lot of things here. But the important quick analysis is driving always back to where does the funding come from? Where is the money? Follow the money is all that I can really encourage you to look at. And then secondly, it comes down to the reality that even though there were churches, like one of the largest churches in Northeast Ohio in my area, um, a little bit too late. A little bit too late. The churches, as I will definitely discuss in this program, don't know if it'll be the next segment and or the third, is that the thought process, the eschatology in particular, 
has been so destructive that now that there have been even the pastor of one of the largest churches here in what he calls Cleveland, but they're actually in Geauga County, uh, they finally got on with understanding that it necessitates the actions of those evangelicals to make that difference in the election, but insufficient from time to vote. Other pieces of the analysis that we're going to talk about in this segment are the numbers in the voting, as well as the finances. I would ask that you go to samueladamsreturns.net. It's obviously not above my shoulder for those that are watching the program. But there I have the link to Ballotpedia that gives a full analysis from start to finish uh, on what happened with both Issue 1 and Issue 2. The links are there respectively so that you can go and look at that analysis. The basics within that analysis, especially for issue one, is the money. And where did that money come from? Uh, that is something that I brought up once before uh, to you, is that significant amounts of support were going to come from entities that are global international, destructive to American liberties. Now, this amendment was pushed as something that was attacking uh, liberty and the liberty around that in the reproductive rights categories. But what was most interesting is that as I showed you before, the language and much of the language in the ideas and advertisements of issue one come from that UN organization that I presented to you a program or two before. So you're going to have to go back and understand that, that everything that we are dealing with in our present time is from globalist progressive oligarchs. So let's look at who some of the top funders were. Ohioans for reproductive freedom. Ohio physicians for reproductive rights. Ohioans united for reproductive rights. The reproductive rights folks are that international group, flat out. Okay. Now, between those three organizations, they contributed basically $41.7 million. And this included the ACLU. So the top donors in that $41.7 million included the 1630 Fund, the Open Society Policy, once again, George Soros, Lynn Schusterman, the Fairness Project, and the ACLU. So that's real interesting. So it had a lot of support then with the ACLU directly funding it, as well as these groups 
that I talked to you about before that are international on the reproductive rights. You're going to have to go back to the other programs for that. Now, you have to clearly understand that when we tried to look at that difference is that this was basically uh, a two-to-one spending. So the uh, opposition was outspent, that being those that are the pro-life uh, groups had $26.4 million. $26.4 million is not enough to buy the advertising and to do everything that is necessary to accomplish. So the benefits of this, and you're going to have to go to the various links that I have in the references and articles at SamuelAdamsReturns.net for today's program, to know that the surgeons are going to be the ones that make money not only as the abortionists, but because of the way that the language is structured in issue one, destroying parental rights, that it is a big transgender bill. And the fact then that surgeons will make millions and millions, if not, you have to understand that the reports that are there are showing that in the next decade, this is a $5 billion business. So this one report was from 2022. So $5 billion. In 2021, the sex reassignment market in the United States was worth $1.9 billion and looking at an average growth rate of 11%. This includes the extent of the psychobabalists that are out there as well. Now, I wanted to touch real quickly on something that came out uh, November 8th, being the time frame of 2023, in this analysis that I was really surprised, but when I looked at the Ballotpedia numbers for confirmation on this, it, it's not surprising. So what carried this issue one and issue two, but issue one in particular, is that the 25 counties out of 88 counties are what passed it. And some of those counties being the largest counties with the most leftist. On a numerical basis, it was 3.9 million people out of 8 million registered voters cast the ballot on Tuesday. So we're looking at 3.9. So we're saying, where were the other half of the registered voters. Who were they? We don't know yet. We don't know that analysis just yet. But we're going to have to take a look. And I, I, I have to think that when I looked at who was at the polls when I went to vote, there were a lot of younger people. There were people that I say were, and I call them younger, because they would be under 50 that were there voting even around one o'clock in the afternoon when I went to vote. So when you're getting there now, that 
3.9 million, who were they? I don't know that the analysis is out just yet. I don't know that the numbers are there just yet. I know people that are working on that, and we're going to have to reference them at another time. But we need to look at who were those young people casting their vote about. And the lies and deceptions that were there consistently on YouTube, every media form that were the pro yes on issue one for the longest time, I did not see no ads coming out strongly until Sunday night and Monday. Two days, only two days were their consistent media ads in all of those various markets that already the leftists were casting doubt in people's minds, were developing the lie of what it meant for medical freedom. We couldn't get them true medical freedom amendment passed here in the state because of the money. It all comes down to the money. So I need you to take and really consider in this analysis of issue one, my very limited preview of what happened, what's going on in your state? What's going on in your counties? Because the counties are critical. So if it was 25 counties out of 88 that carried issue one to success, if you will, what happened in those other counties that we couldn't get the numbers, get the vote out to defeat it? Many rural counties, lesser populations. We have to look once again at where the leftists reside. So with that, voting is important. It's critical. It is your first responsibility as a citizen. This is what the founders wanted. And we have to, and we'll talk about it in the next segment when we carry over on this, is education. The educational system has failed us not only in responsibility, but in moral determination. Sam Adams understood both, and he wrote about them extensively. So come on back in the next segment when Samuel Adams returns. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the second segment of Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists did get it correct. This is Tom Navoli, your host, and I am delighted that we can continue this conversation in relationship to issue one and the fact and reality that it is what? A confusion. Where where are they? Where have they gone? What is going on? Well, as I mentioned from the earlier article that's there at SamuelAdamsReturns.net, where the uh, state legislature is saying that, oh, they're going to try and run another uh, amendment to counter this one. 
that passed with issue one right now. Well, the question is going to be that it's not just about abortion. I think that's where we really went wrong, and this is something that Mark Paquita and I uh, talked about on our when I had him on the program a few weeks ago. Abortion centric, it, it's all over the map. And the pro-life organizations, and I think this is where the legislature will fail, is in the idea that they're going to run another abortion amendment. But what they need to do is look at what it means to reclaim parental rights. They need to look at modifying this issue one. I would agree it needs to be modified but it needs to mostly protect the youth of Ohio and hopefully fight and suffer the rest of the United States and what it means to take and, again, protect parental rights. The problem then will be getting more than 20-some million dollars to be able to carry it forward. Where will they really get the money from to take and be successful with anything to counter issue one? It's going to take 50 to 100 million dollars if it's done in the near future. And what we're coming up against is with the 2024 election in general, the general election, how is that going to fit? So, the legislature, according to this article that is here at Just the News, is that they're looking at trying to run this in the March election, which is the primary. I, I just don't know how they're going to be able to put that together in such a way to be able to get it on the ballot and then to have the money to do it and the education of the citizenry and try to get out more than half of the registered voters that will help pass this. Now, maybe strategically they think that, uh, oh gosh, you know, with it being a primary, a lot more people are going to be coming out to vote anyway. So that may be the time that they're able to uh, get this grasp on it and uh, make it successful. We'll see. I don't know how the strategists are thinking, but I think, as an email was shared with me uh, today as well, is that it's a matter of getting really to the women's groups as well as to the younger generation, which I mentioned in the last segment were the primary people that were I saw at the polls. The bigger portion, in my opinion, is getting to those congregations and pastors to try and get them truly involved from a perspective that was foundationally sound. And the reason I say that is that when I started looking at uh, what could I bring to you in relationship to foundational soundness, and I began to look through what was being taught and preached once again at the beginning of this nation. When we take and we look at those various principles, I'm just going to make a reference uh, to 
this from Jonathan Edwards in talking about, first off, creation in and of itself. The problem with what I'm going to present to you in that is that the educational system doesn't promote creationism, doesn't promote creation. So as we take and we try to bring that idea that what God has done for his purposes, for his own glorification for him in relationship to us, his creatures, for the most part, doesn't make sense. Because it's not even preached at the pulpits. And you have to understand that, especially in Northeast Ohio, having been part of, what, the Connecticut territories at the time that we had this established, that being called the Western Reserve, there are a large number of congregational churches. A large number of these congregational churches, almost the majority of them are left-leaning. They're Unitarian at best. Universalist in general. Then we have a large number of the perverted United Methodists as well as the liberal Presbyterians, and then a whole mix mash of all these other liberals that call themselves churches. Open-ended. Open for all. Well, right there is a theological disparity according to what is biblically true. Anything that Jonathan Edwards would have to say is rejected by the majority of these churches in Northeast Ohio alone, let alone throughout the rest of the state of Ohio. So the battle is once again going to be to those evangelical churches that have a moment of revelation and understanding that the end times aren't what they may think they are. I, I, I bring that twist into you uh, a little bit only because I, I, I'm not going to get down the whole road on that eschatology, but the fact is now I have heard people here in Ohio saying, oh, see, issue one passed. Oh, what, what God is coming, Jesus is coming back. Look at all the evil is now predominant here in this nation, in this land. Well, I have to say, why don't you get off your high horses? And why don't you take and you execute according to the foundational principles and truth and the fact that you're supposed to be involved in everything to bring culture as much as labor into the whole purposes of the creation of God? And that's what Edwards talks about in this particular paper. So I went there and I looked at that and I'm going, okay, there's that piece. So what else is there? What else should I look at? And then I ended up going back to what I've talked to you about a couple of years ago, actually, is that we have from Witherspoon the lectures on moral society. The lectures on moral society and uh, what he had there uh, are shocking to modern people. I think that it is imperative that be looked at again. 
just the basic principles on what does it mean to take and have a moral society? What effects does that have in how then we self-determine, how we even self-govern? So I just sit here and I scratch my head and wonder, will we have the pulpits and even that large denominational church here in themselves, Cleveland or Cuyahoga Falls, that they would continue to preach the truth based on a moral philosophy that is biblically sound and respects every aspect of life. Every That means not just on an abortion issue, parental rights, as well as what does it mean to take and have those that can govern from this moral, biblical perspective. So there's a lot there. Well, so much, too much, that I should actually reference you back to. And as we are getting closer to the end of this segment already. But what it comes down to, and this is uh, a, a paper that I really looked at, and it's referenced there for you uh, at SamuelAdamsReturns.net, is God's Laws of Authority. And this takes us right back into Genesis and into a point of view and a, a search that blew me away when I first read it. And now as I was re-looking at it, to bring to you, it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. And that when Cain murdered Abel, that that was a distinctive move against God's authority. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we know that Adam and Eve sinned when they disobeyed, and we look at it at disobeying. But in this paper, one of the perspectives that you'll take a look at that is interesting and not always brought to bear is that man, both Eve and Adam, authority and assuming within that context of being like God or becoming God's, that they defy the absolute authority of God. And then when we look at that, and what we're seeing is that this was an unauthorized killing. Fully unauthorized. So we're seeing the same thing when we look at abortion, when we look at transgenderism, when we look at a lot that happens even in mental health. It is overstepping the authority of God in relationship to his creation. But as I brought out in the last segment, you know what? The schools teach that there is no creation. God has no effect. And anything that is talked about as what is God and what is his principles, what is his authority, uh, we see in the liberal churches. We see in all those congregational churches, the universalists, the Unitarians, the leftist Methodists, and on and on it goes. The leftist Presbyterians, the 
lukewarm for. What we have is that the true authority of God is no longer allowed in the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what it comes down to when we're looking at the various aspects of human nature in relationship to how do you make decisions around these types of ballot issues? And how do we get people to vote? So I think from a strategic perspective, there's two aspects that have to continue to happen. There have to be those that have a capacity to get before different congregations and truly discuss what it is to take and operate under the sovereignty and authority of God. That's first and foremost, absolutely critical, needed. And then secondly, it is trying to figure out how do we get the remainder of the people to vote, those other 4,000 people to vote in uh, the various elections that we need to have successes in. And then we have to understand that demographic. We have to be able to address the women, the youth, and educate and bring that clear understanding of what to maintain true liberty. It's critical that we continue to develop those people that we need to have voting in the manner that will maintain that liberty. You know, the fact of the matter is we haven't been very good at it over the many years. And we know that the founders were, as well as we know that Sam Adams was during that foundational period. So come on back for the last segment. Ladies, those anti-federalists did get it correct. And this is Tom Navolis, your host. I'm delighted that you are with me in this final segment. Now, here I just want to do a quick touch bases on Ohio Issue 2. And Ohio Issue 2, and uh, that is for recreational marijuana. Now, we're already seeing that in many states that have legalized this, that it is problematic. Those that have won this issue are declaring that, oh, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to bring more tax revenue into the state of Ohio, and on and on and on. They continue to say it's going to help uh, those that are already patients that need marijuana, that this is going to even be better for them because now these growing facilities can expand. There's one growing facility in the Cleveland area that is It's extremely interesting to see that, once again, it is all about follow the money. Who is going to benefit are those that are going to make a lot of money off of it. And then, once again, what we're seeing is that who were the people that voted for it in relationship to... Uh, I brought up is or uh, should I say, what it is, those people that participated in the drug back in the 60s and 70s in particular. So, huge issue. Huge issue to look at. And once again, it goes back to where is the moral determination within the citizenry. 
So that draws me back now to our foundational moments, if you will. And when I was looking in the Anti-Federalist Papers, trying to discern that on personal rights, what was it that the founders were looking at? And the areas that they were always trying to cover on their personal rights were those of the fundamentals around religion, property, and conscience. What was it around the press? So what were those key elements that brought together our Bill of Rights? And what were the arguments for that Bill of Rights? The the substance of individual rights is that which secures our conscience, religion, free speech, and property. And what does it take to keep that? Then that means the be, the ability to defend ourselves and our property and to be able to put down those that would dare to take any of that away from us. So therefore the Second Amendment. But the ideas of rights to immorality were not intended only because we had a moral framework. Was everybody moral during the founding era? No, but the greatest percentage of people were definitely those that adhered to the basics of fundamental biblical principles. They understood the Ten Commandments as a basic guide in establishing what did it mean to have a civil government. Golly, people don't even get that nowadays. They just don't understand what that civility is really about, and they create all these other concepts of pseudo-civility, if you will. Oh, yes. Well, actually, the founder said that tolerance led to tyranny which we're actually seeing in today now with all of the nonsense that's going on. I wanted to actually go through with you uh, a couple different, from a whole uh, called the Warren Adams Letters. And one in particular was from Mercy Warren, so Mercy Otis Warren to John Adams. Mercy Otis Warren fabulous anti-federalist. She was one of the guys, actually, I've talked about her before. She was right in the mix of everything that was going on. And when we get to understanding that, and this was in 1785, so here we have uh, the Constitution and we're going in looking to be, we have the the Articles of Confederation that we were operating under, there's a, a lot that was going on and that John Adams was over finishing the negotiations on uh, the uh, ending the war. So in 1785, that uh, what Mercy started talking about was the mercantile class being very angry. We have mercantile class angry today. So they had John Adams over there trying to negotiate all of this with that 
and trying to determine, you know, what did it mean to hate once again here in the United States. Freely trade. Fairly trade. And something that Mercy brings out is that, uh, in looking at the, uh, the Republic resents with dignity the late restrictions on commerce. They would be happy to see every nation in Europe take the same steps, provided we were thereby obliged to live within ourselves, which is within our means, and had wisdom and virtue to retain our own principles and manners, independently supporting a national character respected for its simplicity, magnanimity, and vigor. Right there also comes to the crux in what she was talking about here. But she goes, you know, the weakness of human nature is what she's fearing because it's already advancing at that time in every species of a luxury to recede. Receding being that character, that respect, that simplicity, you know, living that simple life. She's talking about the avidity of pleasure has increased without, with our freedom and a thirst of acquisition for it support pushes to the most dangerous experiments. So overstepping too much luxury. Right there takes and starts pushing humanity into human nature into those areas that they necessarily wouldn't go into. But it goes through this whole idea of perversion of reason, a corruption of taste, and the craving of artificial necessity, which causes the relentless or the restless pursuit of objects seldom attainable. So she was talking to John Adams in all of his negotiations and everything to use that wisdom to take in to try and maintain that idea and the maxims of religion, which will bring us back to the basic fundamentals of our character. We need that. We need that now more than ever before. We need that as we look at both what happened in Ohio around issue one and issue two. We need to understand that as we look at the people that we vote for and how we vet those people. So there's Things that I was really looking for here is on elections, which at that time they called suffrage, that we would give our suffrage an assent to those that we would be electing for or the what we would be putting our popular voice to. have to say that that's still a battle. It was a battle then as it is now. And the importance of it is no different. It's that we have to come down to um, how the suffrages of the people uh, stand acquitted within the concept of 
our biblical understanding of God, country, and that we are free within our consciences to be able to engage in that which is morally correct. It's tough. It's difficult in this day and age when that under there, it is no longer set into the minds of the people that are going to vote. A lot of that was happening as well back in the day. Samuel Adams to James Warren when he was talking about uh, in 1780. He was talking about James Warren being elected into office. And that what we're looking at at that time is the uh, inexpressible pleasure to find that the freemen of Massachusetts have been guided by their judgment, their gratitude, and regard for public virtue. Once again, it comes to that concepts, those various strict principles that should be guiding us in our elections and who we elect. We don't bring that to bear anymore. And the media obviously destroys it a lot. They they take and they corrupt every sense of what it means to bring an issue forward, to vote properly on the issue, to take and bring that moral guidance of what does it mean into perpetuity? Because once you have a constitutional amendment, it takes it into perpetuity. Constitutional amendments are extremely difficult to change. So when we have the state legislature here in Ohio saying that they're going to be able to take and run another constitutional amendment to try and fix the issue one that passed on this past Tuesday, it's going to be interesting and very difficult to see what successes they may be able to bring to bear in that regard. Let's talk strategy in this last minute and a half. Strategy, once again, has to be uh, working with the likes of uh, Mark Paquita and his group here in Ohio to try and develop uh, an electorate that has a clear understanding of what is at stake. And what's at stake, once again, is parental rights. What's at stake, once again, is the fact that all of those who are against abortion, against transgenderism, against all of that on religious conscience in particular, will be attacked. I'm predicting that. Mark predicted that. Anybody that read that legislation knows that that's the next step is to attack anyone from their religious views, their biblical views, that take a stand against all of these perversions. So back to strategy. we got to get to the pastors. There were the Catholics stood very, very strong against these issues. Now the question is, how do we get to the Protestants in such a way that maybe they make up that other four million that didn't vote? And that's what we have to do, is see that the churches 
come together, not just on abortion, but rights in general. The churches need to understand their rights. They need to understand what is correct under our Constitution, both state and federal, especially your state constitution. I've talked to you about that in the past as to what's important in the state constitutions, and I hope that you will take and understand that as much as Sam Adams did when he was writing the Massachusetts Constitution. Sam clearly was working on those rights, and we need to understand what we have to do here to get through to the churches as we know that our founders did. We know that the churches were involved with them. We know that it is strategically important for every Christian to understand what they need to do next. That's what Sam Adams did. That's what the Anti-Federalists did. So come on back next week when Sam Adams returns.